This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about the money, boys! Here we go again. We need pie. My granddad always said, if you have a problem you can't solve, helps to get your head out of it. Pie. It's good. Hello there, and welcome back to Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we talk about film franchises, and we are currently working our way through the Men in Black series, and this week we are discussing what is currently the final film in the trilogy, Men in Black 3. I am your now hungry host, Gabe Green, and as always, I am joined by my favorite undercover alien, James Hamrick. How is Earth treating you? It's all right. It's uh, pretty good here. Uh, I wish people here liked this movie more. But uh, but it's all good right now. Yeah, it almost makes you want to leave. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, man, we, we took a week off, but it feels like it's been a lot longer than that. I've just been kind of lost without a episode to record or uh, edit. Yeah, I've, I've felt an urge to audibly talk about movies. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, most of the time it's like, what are you talking about? I, what? I'm like, oh, sorry. I've, I've got a week. You don't understand. <laughs> just arguing with yourself in the car and... Yelling at the windshield, pretending it's me. Pretty much. Yep, same here. Uh, but before we dive into our discussion of uh, Men in Black 3, I'd like to ask you guys to please, if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to go and rate and review us on iTunes and like us on Facebook. And before we get into the main review, I want to talk about some of the production story of, the, of how this film got to the big screen. Um, uh, so James, why don't you tell us a bit about the original concept for this film? All right, yeah, so the original concept uh, for the third movie being about time travel was an idea pitched by Will Smith um, to director Barry Sonnenfeld. Uh, and that was actually going on during the production of Men in Black 2. Um, but it obviously, as we know now, took 11 years to get made, um, most likely because of Men in Black 2 kind of being viewed as a somewhat disappointment, you know, uh, both critically and financially. Um, and then by the time it started getting around, Will Smith, I mean, he was huge then, but it was, he was no longer in the phase of getting started. He was, you know, the, the big star. Uh, so he had more creative control by the time it got to the third one. And originally he and the producers were hesitant to bring back Sonnenfield, uh, which, I mean, I'm sure you'd agree. It's kind of understandable. <laughs> Neither of us are, <laughs> have, have too much love at all for the sequel. Um, number two, that is, but, uh, he was able to convince them. He had a strong vision for the third one and he was able to talk himself back into position of director. Yeah. Um, it's actually surprising the, uh, the difference in direction between the second one and this one. I think it's, I guess he, he must've learned a lot in those years because the, the, the direction in the second one is just so bland and boring and seeing how. This interesting and dynamic it is uh, in this one is uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I think we'll talk about this a little bit. He he's able to use like CGI and a lot of other toolkits a lot more effectively. I mean, there's still some iffy CGI here and there that I feel like is just a product of like everybody going 3D and trying to do as many insane <laughs> 3D things as you can back in uh, was it 2012 when this came out. Uh, yeah, that sounds... Or 20, 2012 or 2011, I should know this. Um, 2012, yes. And so, 
you have a bit of that, but he he's able to play around in the action scenes with a lot more skill than he had before. But even beyond just the action, the movie moves much better than I mean. Obviously, I'm I'm very defensive of the first one, uh, but with the second one, you know, I just it it doesn't feel like it moves very well, and I feel like there's a very discernible difference between the way this movie is put together, the way the scenes relate and move from one to the next. It's just so much more focused and tight and everything feels like everything has a purpose. And uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm glad he was able to talk himself back in because I think, I think he proved why he was the right guy. Yeah. And so the, the, uh, the second film came out in 2002. It wasn't until 2009 that they actually hired a writer. Uh, it was Eat, Eaton Cohen, uh, not Ethan Cohen, a different guy, uh, who was hired to write the script. Um, then in June 2010, uh, a year later, David Kep, who uh, you may remember had left the second film to do Spider-Man, was brought in to rewrite it. And uh, filming actually began shortly after that in November of 2010. Uh, it was before they even had a finished script. They, uh, they wanted to, to take advantage of tax credits in New York City that would only have been available for 2010. So they basically rushed the, uh, the uh, filming. And while this was happening, they brought in uh, Jeff Danielson, uh, who had worked with um, executive producer Steven Spielberg on The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which we just talked about. Uh, he was brought in to rewrite all of the, all of the time travel uh, uh, portion in 1969. This was during filming. Um, so filming had to... It went, it went for a couple months, and they had to basically go on a break for Christmas. It was supposed to um, resume in February, but it had to be delayed till April because they just could not crack the script um yeah writers michael arndt uh known for toy story 3 and um mike uh socio they were both brought in here and there to just help finalize the script um uh, so filming was finally finished uh, in june of 2011 uh roughly you know i guess it would be about eight, eight months since uh, after he began filming, it was just a very long and troubled process i remember <laughs> during the film and there's a big news story about a uh, Will Smith's trailer. Did you remember that? I, I don't think I do. It was, uh, there was like the neighborhood around there was complaining about how huge his trailer was. Uh, it was like his fumes were like getting into their air ducts and whatnot. It was kind of weird. Like of all the production issues this film went with, that was the one that the, uh, <laughs> that caught onto the news. It's hilarious. Uh, whatever makes a story. Yeah. And as far as casting, uh, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones were obviously brought on to reprise their roles. However, this time Agent K was going to be cast as two different people with Josh Brolin coming on to play him as a younger man. Uh, and then New Zealand actor Jermaine Clement, who I'm sure fans of him will know him from Flight of the Concords, which is hilarious and he's equally hilarious there. Uh, he was hired to play the, the villain Boris. It's just Boris. Not <laughs> Boris the animal. Um, uh, Emma Thompson was brought on to play the character of O, who's kind of taken over from Zed, the new head of MIB. And then, of course, we also have her played younger by Alice Eve. And then Michael, I think his name is Stuhlbarg, plays the clairvoyant alien Griffin, who is amazing. Um, and then there's also, you know, some other fun cameos, including Mike Coulter, Will Arnett, and Bill Hader as Andy Warhol, which is also hilarious. And completely unrecognizable. I know. I remember seeing it at first because I, I remember thinking, like, I know 
that's him. Does he have like I I because it'd been a while whenever I was watching it for this show. It'd been a while since I had most recently seen it. I was like, wait, is there like a body double or something? That doesn't look like him. And when they took off the wig, I was like, no, that's just him with a really weird nose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so they, they, they of course, brought back uh, Rick Baker to do all the makeup and creature effects. Um, and he said he actually created more aliens for this film than the previous two combined, which I can't believe. I think the world feels a lot bigger. Like when you're going throughout the MIB headquarters, it just feels... It just feels more expansive. There are a lot more creatures around. And also, when you go back to, into uh, 1969, I love how they're all like 60s aliens. Um, you know, they have like the, the fishbowl helmets and uh, just very kind of distinct to that era of sci-fi. So I think he, he does a lot of great work here. And it just makes, I don't know, it just makes the, the film just that much more interesting to look at. Um, and then, of course, uh, Danny Elfman returns to score the film. I'll just... Uh, pretty good work. I was listening to it while I was uh, writing up these notes. Um, so, I want to ask you before we move into the main review, uh, what was your first experience with this film, James? And uh, how has your relationship with it uh, been over the years? Well, obviously, you know, me and my entire family, we were all huge fans of the first one. It was kind of a family favorite. And then the second one came out, and we were all really disappointed by it. And I remember seeing, you know, in the news that three was being made. And I wasn't like, oh, well, I'm not going to see that after two. But I was also not, you know, jumping up and down about it being made. Uh, but I forget the occasion. I think it was just one of the times where everyone was gone except for me and my dad. And it was like, hey, is there, <laughs> since we're bored, is there anything playing? And I was like, well, Men in Black 3 came out. We could see that. And it was just kind of a, you know, kind of a way to fill our day. And we ended up going out and seeing it. And like I said, it was whenever 3D was especially huge. And that was the only showtime we could find. Um, and it it's actually not terrible in 3D. I'm usually not a fan of 3D, but here it works pretty well. And so we saw it and we got out and we were both really surprised by how much we enjoyed it. Because uh, at that point, neither of us were big fans um, of 2. And, you know, even 1, it had been a bit probably since we had seen it. And definitely a long time since it first came out. And so, yeah, we walked out really, really positive talking about it for a bit. Um, really surprised at the amount of heart and how after such a lot, like over a decade of time from seeing these characters, how well it managed to get us to care and to be invested again. And so, um, after it came out, I had told my sisters about how much I enjoyed it and I finally convinced them to watch it because I think it was on Netflix for a time. So we watched it there and they both really liked it. And yeah, it's, I've, I saw it and really enjoyed it the first time and I've loved it ever since. Yeah. I, I think I, I saw this shortly after I first saw the, uh, the first two, which w would have been around, I think like 2000, probably 2012, 2013. I think, I don't think I saw the first two until after this one had come out. Um, and it, it was my favorite when I first saw it. And I think, it still uh, remains that way. I mean, as as I said, right, the first review, I don't like love the first one, but um, so for me, this, this series isn't like one of my favorites. But I, even with this one, which which I don't like completely love, I still think it's a very enjoyable film, and um, it it connects with me a quite uh, quite a lot more than the uh, the first one did, and definitely the second one. The first thing I want to talk about is just the characters. Uh, just coming, what I, I love so much about this movie is how. I think seamlessly it just steps right back into that world. Uh, you know, 
you would never have, uh, besides obviously looking at the character's age, you would have never have known that 11 years had passed. It just, you know, we go right back in and these characters feel like the same people. The dy- the dynamic between um, uh, J and K is just, ju- you know, just as funny and, uh, and actually, and rather heartwarming in this picture as it was. Uh, and I think the, the humor is may, maybe even better than the first one. Like, I don't, I think the back and forth banter is what really uh, catches my notice in this film. I think, uh, especially from Will Smith, he's he's very good with this stuff. And I, um, he's just so charming. But I think he's, you know, he, he, maybe he just became a better actor across these uh across those years but he just he just seems so completely into this character i mean uh, he definitely was in the previous films but something about this one in particular i think just the banter really pops yeah honestly and this is kind of on me i always forget how fantastic will smith is and going through this trilogy was kind of a huge reminder because he's got such a great amount of range uh, I think he's often recognized by it, but even still, I feel like I, I forget how great of an actual actor he is. Uh, and it's, I'm not sure if I think he's just gotten better across the trilogy, but I think that this, the script here just gave him a lot more to do because like we said, one of the things that the two of us actually did like about the first or about the, the second one was at the very beginning, seeing him in kind of a different position as he is the kind of overbearing and demanding partner, uh, which is a difference in dynamic. And seeing that different side of him, I thought he was really great at that. And I was disappointed we didn't see that anymore. And so I think he's always had the potential. And I think number three is just whenever they really gave him, the script gave him more to do and to just feel like an, an actual person more with a little bit of more, like just more humanity behind him. Uh, as for which one's funny, I think... One still makes me laugh the most, um, but I think the benefit that this one has is the jokes are able to be much more character-based because at this point we've already seen two full movies and so they're not having to set up their personalities anymore and then make jokes about them. It's, they're joking about characters who we already know fairly well. And so, whereas the first one may have had some jokes that just work on face value as jokes, here they feel very personal um in a good way i think one of my favorites is just will smith describing you know kind of a surly gentleman smiles like this it's <laughs> uh which is also just another example of will smith being so funny probably improvised it wouldn't surprise me. it everything and even in two which is obviously both our least favorite it's every line from him across this trilogy he just feels so dialed into this character and even lines where I'm, I'm thinking in my mind like this joke on page isn't that funny, but he like his facial expressions and the inflection of his voice, he's able to like just ring out gold from every line of dialogue from him. And he's he's just really really great, and it re- reminded me why he's actually one of my uh, favorite actors. Just because you see a black man driving a car, just not mean he stole it. Okay, I did okay. steal it, but not because I'm black. <laughs> His every yeah every line from him is just and I remember we're we're in a group messenger with some other friends and he, like just there were moments throughout this movie where I just message just say okay I I'm still constantly surprised that 
every line, every single line from him. I'm laughing. Yeah. And I, I think I think one way one reason that I think this this performance works so well for me is that I, it feels like the script well th- as you said the script is so is dialed in much more to the characters but also it it doesn't feel like they're stopping the plot to have their joke like the, the, I think this goes goes kind of goes into the writing as a whole but the whole film feels so much more streamlined than um even the first one, and especially, and also the second one, just everything just feels like it has a purpose. Every scene, you know, you know, the, every, the, every, every scene it contributes to the plot. Like my, my biggest problem with the first one was that it felt like, um, like it was just kind of, we're just kind of going from sketch to sketch to sketch. Here, there's, like, all, all, like all the jokes feel as if they're, they're part of, um, they're just like part of the film. And they're probably a bit more subtle than they are in the um, in the first one, but I think they they, they just flow better uh, here. And what's what's so great about Will Smith is that like when he goes back in time, and you know he's playing off an entirely different actor with uh, with uh, J- uh, Josh Brolin, is that he still has a very like a very similar chemistry. Um, with Josh Brolin's uh, version of K, and it's 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 kind of crazy. Just like the, like like you know, chemistry between actors is something that's so specific. The fact that he can re- recreate that, you know, in a slightly different way, since he's now you know the more knowledgeable one, is is just a testament to how good they are. Yeah, that is so weird. I mean, obviously, we're gonna talk about Brolin in a little bit, but I think because of how perfect he was able to play. The role of younger K, yeah, it it didn't feel like there was a shift in chemistry. Obviously, there's a very intentional shift in dynamic, like you said, because of the change in their relationship. But it felt like he was speaking to the same person, though. Um, the way they were able to go back and forth, and honestly, whenever Josh Brolin was replying to Will Smith, but off screen and you just hear his voice it might as well have been just Tommy Lee Jones because of how much he sounded like him and so I think that's part of why the movie itself works so well is just we're we're never losing that dynamic even without or even with a different actor it still feels like we're building from the the same friendship that we've seen over two movies now yeah and I love that Josh Brolin isn't just doing like a kind of stilted Tommy Lee Jones impersonation. He creates, you know, a full character that, you know, is is different. He, you know, he has a slightly, uh, a slightly happier personality than Tommy Lee Jones has, and it's just you. There's uh, just I don't know. It's, it's it's such a subtle difference, but it's really there. He he completely makes the character his own while he's playing him. And that that was one of the things that I really liked about the movie was that, to me, movies sometimes put. I don't know, maybe too much of an emphasis on one particular moment where, I mean, I've seen this in, in different films and especially different TV shows. If you go back for a flashback and it's it's like, oh, here's this character five years ago and it, they're just a completely different person entirely from top to bottom. Um, what I liked here is that he is a different person, but you can completely see how something could make this person go to this person where his taste in music, his general demeanor, uh, the way he speaks, his inflection, that's all the same. 
it's this kind of his mood and his outlook that's a little bit different. And so it feels like a very real human and believable shift from this kind of person to this kind of person instead of saying, wow, you know, isn't it crazy to see Kay like this? He's nothing like, like, I don't know. I was really happy that they didn't go that route. Yeah, I like how, you know, Will Smith's constantly, or Jay's constantly asking, you know, what happened to you, man? Like you're, you're actually you're, you're smiling now. How did you end up like that? Um, and the, just the way kind of the way he just kind of takes it all in stride. Like I don't know, man. It hasn't happened to me yet. Yeah, it's and that's that's one of what I I think the like I said before. I think the first one is still my favorite of the trilogy. But that is one of the things that I did like about this one a lot was that. I felt maybe more emotionally invested in this one and I almost, I I kind of forgot what it was that had, that had changed him and what he saw. Um, so this whole time, just this whole, you know, what happened to you? You know, I was like, man, I, I forget what it is. Why, why is he so, I don't want to, he seems like, I mean, he's still the same kind of character, but he definitely seems a bit more chipper and, um, Every time he asked, and Will Smith is kind of like, he's smiling, and he's like, man, you know, what What happened? I feel like I'm just mimicking those emotions, like, man, what happened? You're so happy. Um, yeah, you know, making making eyes with O and all that. I, I, I almost wish they kind of changed it in the future where he's together with, uh, with O. It would, it would have been cute. Yeah, that would, I would have, not to get too ahead, uh, but I do wish the ending was elaborated on a little bit more. Just kind of to see, because really, this story is very self-contained. Like, in reality, most of it might as well not have happened. And so, I guess that's maybe to give a tad bit of credibility, but not really, because I don't like all the people who gave this movie negative reviews. (laughs) But the idea that it's kind of an inconsequential third movie, I do wish there was a bit more closure and a bit more continuation. as far Not between the dynamic between the two, because I do think they learn more about each other, especially Will Smith or Agent J learning more about Kay. Uh, I wish we've, we furthered our knowledge on them, you know, and the organization and things, but, but it's kind of yeah, it really is just the story about, you know, uh, J and Kay's friendship. You know, he goes back in time to save his life and, you know, he's having to, you know, um, you know, reestablish that, that same level of trust with a past uh, Jay, and you know, to go on this mission together, and then we, when the en- when the end happens, and we see how their connection started, and I start crying and all that, it's <laughs> which is not I, something that I would expect, you know. Yeah, it, it's just uh, as you know, it's self-contained, but I think it does that by you know diving into these characters and their dynamic together, and I, I you know, it, it's a lot more fun than having a giant plant monster trying to fight the light of Zartha or whatever. Oh, gosh, so much more fun. <laughs> um, um, and uh, Tommy Lee Jones doesn't get nearly as much screen time here as uh, he does in the previous two, but he's he's always like he was my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the second one. I think the same here. He's he's just really good. He's fully committed, and he just carries about this kind of sense of sadness and regret. Um, like, like you know, when, whenever uh, Will Smith is you know questioning him, like what, like what are they talking about? Like when he, when he, uh, I forget. Like we, what is it that prompts Will Smith start start asking questions right in the beginning? He was like, you know, don't ask questions you don't want to know. Um, whatever it is that you know prompts Will Smith's 
uh, makes Will Smith you know start pursuing that. And just every time you know, you see K shoot him down, he just feels like a little bit of uh, time. Really, Jones dies. He just looks like a sadder and sadder and more, just like you know, just a very. It's like just kind of a sad puppy almost. It's it really almost hurts to watch just how kind of lonely he seems. Like that scene where he's just you know sitting there with a gun before sucked out into time. I you know, it, he doesn't get much, but I think Timely Jones just as always just you know f- brings his A game. Yeah, I I think it was uh, Jay finding out that there's an even higher pay grade than his, um, and him asking yeah. about that. <laughs> Would you I better think- give me a raise? <laughs> What I like about that is that, you know, they were kind of, you know, by the end of the first one, and then obviously they had to do it over again on two, and then by the end of the second one, they are kind of on that equal footing. But I think to kind of make the dynamic more interesting and to be able to develop the characters more, it's kind of, even though it's not really a throwaway line, it's just kind of a plot device, but the idea that K is still at, at a higher pay grade and and knows more and has answers to questions that he can't really give. It's able to still keep them partners, but still find a way to kind of isolate Kay in a way that does, you know, I mean, not that I, I love the character. So it, it's, it is sad to see him so sad and feeling so distant from others, but by having him in this position with all this past that he can't talk about and these projects he can't talk about, even with a partner on you know, at a surface level, equal footing, there's still, he still feels, you know, a certain sense of isolation. And it does, it makes the character that weird sense where it's like, I'm sad, but I'm still having a blast watching you because you're so great. <laughs> I worked with Zed for 50 years and all that time, never once did he ask me a dinner or talk to me about his personal life. He was a good man. <laughs> and how proud he was of that speech. It's just so great. <laughs> yeah um and then another addition to the mib force that i was initially very skeptical about like the joke uh with uh where emma thompson goes off in that alien language falls really flat and i was like kind of cringy like oh my is her character like this the whole time uh, but afterwards i think she uh she actually is, is quite good um she brings this very very earnest Thing with kind of a weird tick. <laughs> I love her line. There are only two, two possibilities. One is that you've been bitten by the Haravian uh, brain tick and you could die in horrible agony any second. Damn. It's not the tick. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the tick. There's something worse than the tick. Yeah, I think uh, she also has a good dynamic with Will Smith. Like, it's, I'm not entirely sure why they all kind of tr- are so determined to hide information. Um, from Jay, but I think just kind of playing that superior who's kind of worried about him. I think she, she does a really good job, even though she also has, you know, fairly brief screen time. Yeah, I actually I actually liked her introduction, if just mainly because there's something <laughs> so funny about seeing such a prestigious actress, you know, making these nonsensical sounds. And uh, and the end of the joke does make me laugh. She said, That's so that sad. was so sad. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I love just how completely she commits, you know, and also just this, like she carries herself physically differently than she normally does. She's just completely there. Yeah, that's the thing, like, where there's only the third movie, but it's, 
you know, across all of them, it's established a very, very discernible and identifiable kind of sense of humor and sense of style. And and she herself, you know, is an actress who's been across all of these different series. She's able to walk in and gauge what kind of movie this is and the, the kind of humor they go for and really just become that, mold herself into this kind of this kind of movie. And I, I like that a lot about her. I have I have no issues with her with her performance. The only, the only issue I have with the the character is really just the idea of it. It there was something weird that Agent J would have never known the second in line throughout all of his career there. Like how, how so? Well, it's just weird that he's been there for as many years as he has, and he he's just now for the first time meeting the second in command. Wait, does does he does he only meet her in this movie? Well, maybe I thought that that was there for maybe I'm wrong. Um, maybe it just because I never saw the interaction. This may just be an, uh, a bad assumption on my part. I guess it's just because we never saw any interaction, obviously, because she she wasn't a written character uh, across the first two. But yeah, now that I think of it, I, I guess it is never mentioned. Um, but beyond that, it, because she isn't mentioned in the first two, it does kind of feel like this very major character is just now showing up for the first time. And that <laughs> I like her and, and Kay, but it does feel weird that every, every movie kind of has that, that love interest that's teased for Kay. Like he's like, <laughs> he was some sort of sci-fi James Bond having, you know, romantic relationship with everybody in his past. Uh, whether it's the woman for the first, the first one, the random alien that makes no sense in the second one, or oh, like he's just had all of these supposedly very, very meaningful, and they never work out. Uh, th- that's why he's so sad. I mean, I'd be sad too because they all seem to affect the very in a, in a very real way. Uh, but yeah, like like I said, I love her performance. It's it does just feel weird. Like we've never heard anything about her, and we already know that he's already had two. Like he's already had his heart broken twice in the past, and to just find out that the second command that we haven't seen was the third heartbreak for him is—it's <laughs> a bit weird, but I can go with it. Yeah, and uh, that brings us to uh, the villain, uh, Boris the Enwar, just Boris. Um, I I, th- I think this is—he's really great. I mean, obviously nothing will ever be able to top Vincent D'Onofrio as the bug, um, but <laughs> he's. I, I love the way he talks. Just like I was watching the special features, he said he basically he learned English. Uh, it's as if he learned English at like this like really high fancy uh, British academy where it's all just very proper British accent, but with a mouth that's not supposed to speak English. <laughs> so like he's like kind of tripping and like trying to fit his mouth into weird contortions to say every word, and it, it just makes all his you know all his quotes um. Very funny, you know. Look at you, you waste of boglerite flesh. Every mistake I've made just waiting to happen. Yeah, he really... It's what I was missing from the second one. And yeah, like, I mean, the bug is still my favorite, but that is... It's not not an insult at all to uh, Clement here because he just becomes this role and does it so well. Uh, I think the design is just really great. Like all of the different weird, like 
appendages that are covering holes like across his entire body. It's just, it's a really unique design. And even without that, just the one-armed guy with the weird eyes and the huge, awesome beard. Stop he just, looking at it. it. The scene where he's talking to himself is amazing. Um, <laughs> just, I could watch you. I could watch them arguing together just for an entire movie. Just that, well, you know, Jermaine Clement yelling at himself. Yeah, it's his, his delivery, like his his accent, and I I love the the voice effect they have for him because it's just enough to make him sound alien and otherworldly, but it's not enough to mask like his very clear voice like if i were to hear that without seeing the face i'd be like oh that sounds like they're doing something weird to jermaine clement's voice um so he's you know he's got uh prosthetics and a wig and all this stuff on but he's still there and so that that's one of the things that i love so much about the character is he looks and sounds different but at the same time they're not hiding their actor behind prosthetics and weird voice modulation and things like that um and so it's distinctly him to the point to where he can really bring his own, you know, funny quirks because he, he's a, he's a comedian and he's he's hilarious in everything he's ever done and he's able to bring that again here to where he feels suitably menacing and that's something I want to talk about later is the fact that this movie kind of brings me back to the first one where the the threat oh he, he's dangerous yeah the, there's a very real threat that's felt and so he's you know not scary scary as a viewer. But within the context of the movie, as a person within that narrative, he's he's definitely scary. But he's still really, really funny at the same time. And it's not even actual dialogue, but the way he mocks the people laughing at him while he's on his motorcycle. <laughs> it's just funnier than it should be. Uh, but yeah, I, I really, really like him as the villain. Yes, uh, speaking of the danger... Were you were you thrown a little bit by how high the body count is in this film? Well, it's what's so weird is before talking about the first two, that wasn't really something that I ever thought. Like I'm sure I noticed the difference between the first and second, but I never really put my finger on it. And it was whenever you were pointing out the fact that you know there's there's a very real sense of danger in the first one. For as funny as it may be, you know you still feel a sense of of threat and they're like you know like we said within that review there's a high body count the bug kills a lot of people over the course of that movie <laughs> and so i think that that was one of the things that i noticed this time that i didn't before was that the stakes i mean it's it's funny start to finish but the stakes still feel present and real and it's because we're just we're seeing a lot of you know death whether it's um uh, uh, i forget the 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 time travel scientist who he's locked up with, you know, we, we just see him and pale him in the head. And and then even, <laughs> well, he, he kills like 30 guards at least. Yeah. And then there's all the guards. And then uh, with those moments, it's like, okay, I get it. It's an action scene. And then that scientist, he's a criminal. But then even, you know, at Andy Warhol's get together was like, Oh no, Cindy. And we just see <laughs> oh, a spike go right into her head. Like it's, it, it did remind me of, of the bug and how like, you know, he's, He's just kind of breaking people's backs and shoving them into weird little uh, cupboards and sticking them onto the ceiling. And so here again, it's like, I mean, he's a hilarious villain, but this is why we have to stop him because there's kind of death everywhere he goes. Um, and so as as weird a, and, or morbid as it may sound, I I like that 
uh, sense of danger was here. And also, again, probably even more morbid, I like that we actually see it. You know, it, it's felt in the movie. Yeah, that, that spike bug thing in his hand. It's, it's, it's such a unique uh, <laughs> form of weapon and, man, deadly. You complete me. <laughs> we did love the cake. And then, I guess, on the subject of them, the the jokes here can get kind of dark. Not throughout, but there are a couple of moments where I'm like, oh, wow. Like, as he's falling through the Great Depression, and there's just other people jumping with him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that scene was amazing. Like, it's, and that's the thing. It's... This movie does a, re- and I know I'm, I'm repeating myself in the first one, but this movie does a great job of filling every scene with a joke. Uh, probably even <laughs> more efficiently in this case, because like we said, it's the the jokes kind of move with the story and are more character based. But that's what I loved about both the first one and this one is that there's always something happening on screen. There's rarely ever a dull moment, and they're always making like making a joke about it. And so the fact that, you know, even during this little time travel, I guess montage, you'd call it, they're, they're using history to tell you know, a very dark joke, but one that made me laugh nonetheless. Yeah. That, that, that was probably the hardest I laughed in the entire film when he just looks over on the other businessman's falling next to him. Um, and that brings me to probably my favorite character in this movie um, is, uh, you know, Griffin as the alien you know, who sees all possible alternate realities at once, which and and uh, Michael Stuhlbarg is so good in this role. Uh, just the, the the way like they, the way he's written, he come off you know as annoying. Probably like the, the the gimmick of him, you know, constantly narrating you know this current reality as well as the other ones. You know, oh, this could be the reality where this happens, or it's where this happens. It, you know, he does it a lot in the film, but it never gets you know it never feels tiresome or repetitive. And he's able to infuse it with this kind of is both this kind of sadness at you know the fragility of life and you know the death and destruction around him, and obviously the the, the huge as he said the pain in the ass of having to see it all, but he takes this lovely little joy and just the little moments in life you know as he calls them the you know miracles where kind of all these unlikely uh, events kind of uh, come together to make this one significant happening um just you know the kind of just the happiness he takes in the little moments and i don't know he's just it's such a wonderful performance and i i really found myself connecting to him in this last viewing yeah even the the version of me that lived in 2012 walked out of this theater going like that that was a great addition you know it's it's great to see a new addition to the um I guess the ensemble of men in black that really, really works. And uh, I do think so. it's a combination of a really good writing and just a really, really great performance from uh, Stuhlbarg. We, that, that's one of, that's one of the reasons I'm so sad that this movie seems to have been forgotten is because there's, there's a great gem of a performance in this movie, multiple ones, but with this one in particular, um, it's it's too good to go unappreciated, um, and I just I like how thoughtful the the movie's treatment of this character is. 
Um, you said that moment where he says, you know, this is amazing. And he says, you know, it's a real pain in the ass, but it has its moments. Like the, the infusion of like very real sadness and pain makes, makes those moments all the more meaningful so that after we see, even though a lot of it is played for laughs, there's still some moments where it's like, oh, wow. I, you know, after hearing him talk about it, it, it would suck to see all of this. Um, especially towards the end, you know, when he he knows exactly what what Kay and Jay are about to have to go see. Uh, and so on rewatches, knowing all of this about his character, those moments where he's appreciating the baseball game uh, or he's just appreciating any of these little miracles, you know, you can see this weird, like just this pure joy in his eyes, despite, you know, <laughs> he's also the last of his race just to see this pure joy uh, and appreciation for the beautiful things in life. Like I remember thinking, wow, I, I did not expect that from this series. Uh, and just, he's got, I, I've seen him in a couple of other films and obviously he's so much different in this, but like everyone else, he is 100% committed to this kind of character. There's never a moment where he's on camera where it feels like he, He's waiting on dialogue. He's always existing as him. His facial expressions are always, every second his face is on camera, he is playing this character. And so when he goes from like happiness to quick worry, because, uh oh, or is this the future where this happens? And he's just like terrified. And it doesn't happen. And he just has like the most gleeful smiles, like, oh, it must mean that this, like, <laughs> he's so unique and he's such a distinct personality. But I think the the movie treats him with a lot more thought than than you might think it would, and he's just so dedicated to the role to where yeah I was I, I was really happy with his addition and surprised that someone who shows up for the first time in the third movie would end up being such a personal favorite. Yeah, and you just I, I, what I love I think he speaks to the i think this the central idea you know behind the men in black organization which is you know human beings have to be kept uh you know in the dark about just how dangerous the universe really is and how many um you know uh, potentially world ending catastrophes are averted every second and you know to have this character that has to live through every single one of those and this might be the reality where boris is at the door in which case we're all dead in two seconds oh that was close (laughs) And just, or, or in the end, where you know we see the comets flying at Earth, just you know, every second there's a you know, possibility of total annihilation. He has to live through every single one of those, and just the kind of the you 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 buy it, you buy that in every second of his performance. It's it's just so wonderful. And I think the movie uses him really well to constantly. Uh, make sure that everything's kind of moving in a, in a funny way as well. Like I said just earlier, you know, there, there's always something going on. There's always something funny. You know, even just landing with jetpacks, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, that wasn't one of the times where we explode. <laughs> one of the times? Like, it's, there, nothing ever just happens and moves on. Like, they're, they're always finding ways to make make it funny and they use him to do that really well here or that like totally like maniacal laugh he does when he sees the jetpacks at first and runs runs past (laughs) will smith it felt like a kid you know walking into an arcade or something just like so happy 
And I think that's that's part of what makes him. I mean, to me, the best way to describe him as a character is lovable. Like it's just, it's so easy to just really, really like this character and dear yourself to him, um, because he just seems he seems very selfless. He seems very appreciative, but he he also. You know, when he sees jetpacks, he'd be like me and just like, what? And he'd just rover, you know, like a little kid. Uh, just a, a really, really great character. Yeah. Um, moving to some of the, the writing, uh, how, how do you, do you feel that the time travel, you know, holds up entirely? Like, you know, that's a, kind of an infamous thing in film. It's It's so difficult to make a fully consistent time travel story. Uh, do you think it completely works here? Especially considering that all the time travel stuff was rewritten, you know, during filming. For me, um, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of people would probably just look at things differently than me. Probably look at things in a, in a much more intelligently than me. But whenever a movie doesn't try taking itself too seriously, the whole idea of time travel, I usually don't think about it too hard like um i i really enjoy the movie looper but that's a very serious movie and so i have a lot of issues with the way that movie portrays time travel and that it's just a complete mess <laughs> but with this movie i mean it's it's men in black and it's just having fun it's about aliens disguised and all sorts of popcorn nonsensical fun um i think for what the story needs from it, it works perfectly fine. There, there's, there's nothing about it that, that I'm hung up on at all. Uh, the only thing I was thinking, you know, at first, whenever he's reacting to Kay being gone and nobody else is, I was like, oh, I, I mean, I guess whatever he knows him, the movie needs somebody who kind of keeps up with this. But then, I mean, as as weird as the connection may be, at least they even explain you know, why he might still realize that. And I feel like, you know, a movie kind of gets to make up its own rules. And I think they're very, they're very minimal with the amount of rules they set up. And they, they just, they use it to tell their story and it, it never really bothers me. Yeah. I was like writing that down as a plot hole when I first, when I was, uh, you know, watching it, you know, cause like, oh, really everyone else, is you know kind of accepting of this alternate future, and he's of course he's the one who remembers. But then you know they have that scene where it's like, oh, you must have been there. And at the end we see you know he 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 and his as a child had actually met uh, Kay. So yeah, he's he remembers him because um, you know he was there at at this uh, you know important whatever uh, moment in the time stream. Whatever it, it, it it's silly, but they at least they make it work within the story. And to me, a movie is only accountable to the rules it sets up for itself. So you can set up silly rules like that where, oh, if you're at this time event right here and also here, you know, it all like it's I mean, sure, it's all kind of convenient. But to me, whenever I judge this movie, I'm going to judge it based on what it tells me about itself. And so the fact that it it sets up these you know, these little rules for itself and it completely follows them. And there's never really anything that it, it leaves left to unaddressed. I, I think it's, it handles the idea of time travel as well as it needed to, if not maybe a little bit more based on the fact that, you know, it's, I mean, the time travel was only to get them here, you know, and then get them back. It's just because they, they wanted to tell a story about Will Smith or about agent J with young K and, 
So they use time travel to do that, and they, I think they do it pretty well. One question I had, do, do you know why Kay did not want to tell um, Jay whatever the mystery was at the beginning, you know, who Boris, who Boris was after, after, he, you know, after he attacks them? And you know, Kay, uh, Jay keeps asking, do you know why he didn't want to tell him? Um, I'm not sure. I think the movie sets us up for something, maybe a, not a bit more, because I think the ending is actually one of the best parts about the movie. Um, I, I think what we're meant to believe is that, you know, since this idea of Kay having to, you know, neuralize this young kid and try to explain to him that he's going to live without a father and stuff, that... That is, you know, what we're meant to believe is what changed K. You know, this whole movie is asking, you know, what happened to you? This is, you know, this is, he saw something and had to do something that he, you know, presumably had never had to do. There had been no situation like that confronted with him before. And so my assumption is that just that's, that's how he associates or like that's what he associates Boris with is this event that kind of changed him and um maybe he just felt like he couldn't tell the story of what happened with Boris without talking about the the father dying and the result of that so i i guessing that's what it is okay that's kind of what i had a feeling as well um yeah, about that it's it, i i just i like how you know they they have the crazy action finale which i think is is a very cleverly done but when, you know, when it comes down to the end, and you, you uh, where you you had a uh, Griffin say, you know, where there is death, there will always be death, and then you see um, his father, which who's also played by uh, you know Luke Cage, Mike Coulter, who is just kind of a. If I I, I rewatched this very soon after seeing Luke Cage, and it just felt so weird seeing him here. Um, yeah, he he almost doesn't even look the same. A, a lot um, thinner. Yeah, a lot there, and then even though he's wearing a cap, you can still tell he's not bald, which for me throws the whole thing. Yeah, it's off. so wrong. <laughs> but you know, just bring it, you know, after the cool action finale, bring it all right, right back to these characters in that moment where he's killed, and then you see little uh, Jay, who is the the cutest little kid I've ever seen, come out of the truck. My daddy's a hero. And Josh Brolin's performance when he, you know, and there's only one thing you need to remember: your daddy's a hero. Oh gosh, I, it's so powerful, and you, and then you know, it, it kind of goes back over the entire series. You realize why why Kay has has been rooting for him the, this you know this whole time. Um, just just the shot of them you know walking off together, where he he takes the time all he doesn't just neuralize him and leave him. He takes the time to you know, you know, just take him for, take him on a walk, just to I don't know, you know, just to be there for him. And it's just it's so simple, but the way it's executed is so moving yeah and honestly i don't even know if it was maybe just like the kid not understanding the directions but he he kind of walks off and he just says james you know and he kind of walks back over there maybe not that sternly but yeah i i i, I noticed that as well i was wondering if that was ad-libbed to, because to me and this is just how i'm going to choose to see it in my head because i like it i felt like he was probably not supposed to walk off but brolin didn't break character and to me since that's the one in the film now, that's like the canon version of how that event happened. And what I like about it is almost there's a very like 
fatherly relationship with that. Like, like you said, he didn't just neuralize him and leave. He was taking responsibility of that situation. And so even as he kind of walks and he, you know, he says, James, and he comes back over there and he takes his hand, that little bitty moment to me said so much about who Kay is as a person that he's, you know, obviously not taking him under his wing um, as, you know, like this, this father figure or character for him, but that he's... He's watched over him at least. He's going to handle the situation. Yeah. Um, in a very, very thoughtful and, and nice way. And so I, I really like that. And then, so while we're on the subject of, of you know, the ending in this moment, and one of the things you mentioned was that it makes you understand why Kay has kind of always been rooting for him. And I started, it's always a mistake, but I feel like I have to for the show just because we talk about the legacy the film's made. But reading through the reviews of this made me just want to <laughs> go out and meet all of these critics and yell at them because it's, oh, I don't know why. The, the common criticism was that it feels inconsequential and unimportant and unnecessary. First of all, unless a movie ends unfinished and like with the intention of a sequel no sequel is ever necessary uh but to me the criticism of being unnecessary or inconsequential should never be used on a movie that finds a way to improve upon the preceding films Mm -hmm. um and so re like thinking about the first one and the fact that you know within the and obviously this it's not really a retcon, but, you know, the intention wasn't there with the first one. But, again, because three is canon, like, you have to look at it with the entire series of events in mind. You see the training in, in Men in Black 1, and you have all of these other, you know, people who, on paper, are much more qualified. And Will Smith's kind of walking in there making a joke of it. In a weird way, three kind of makes that make sense. You know, why he's he's really rooting for this character. And so that when, when a movie is able to take established characters and even and, and deepen their relationship more than before and even kind of enrich the previous films, I just think it's a really, really lazy criticism to say it's unnecessary and it's a money grab. Because first of all, every movie is, is a money grab. Every movie's desire is to make money by at least someone in the process, everybody in the process. And so this this movie really, I think, added a lot to the characters. And that's that's what upset me most on reading all these reviews is that people just viewed it viewed it as this inconsequential film. And I, I think that it it puts in too much work into these characters for for lazy criticisms like that. Yep. Uh, a couple other things I wanted to mention. I I, I just I think, the, the, as I said, the, the, the direction this one is easily the best, uh, I think, of the three, but definitely a huge improvement over uh, two. And I think this also goes just into probably the writing and the pacing, but this film feels so much more purposeful. Uh, like the, the very first scene establishes the villain with, within, you know, within the story and then Every other scene just feels like it, it's part of this plot and you know, driving the story forward. But just visually, the, the camera work here feels so much more inventive and uh, 
and you know involved in how it presents the actions is really visually engaging. Uh, the CGI is kind of iffy. It's it's not bad, but you know, it's kind of iffy. But there's just so much more momentum in the camera work and just the way the like the it felt previously the action beats were kind of like one thing would happen they would there would be this real unnatural pause then another beat would happen here just the action beats especially the climax just flow really well into the other with a lot of clever things you know where uh you know will smith will like he ran at him and got shot with the spikes and then traveled back in time and was able to avoid them it's just it, it it feels so much more just clever and uh engaging than it did in the previous two yeah, I think a lot of the action with the the first two, you kind of, I mean, I think this this happened in both movies where something happens that kind of knocks Will Smith into the air, and then we just we cut from that you know stationary camera to another stationary camera, and then he falls into frame, and it's it feels like he's just like he's finding the lowest common denominator of a of a, a camera angle or whatever. Like, where can I put this? That's that's going to capture, I guess, the basics of just what I need in this. Um, especially so in two, I think. We kind of talked about that that weird alien that kind of split apart in all the different flying ones. And it just kind of, we point at Will Smith and then point at them and he hits him. And then we point back here. And it's very, very stationary and very bland. And here, I, maybe it's, you know, the, the surprisingly big budget that the movie had. Um or all you know, just kind of being more familiar with his craft, he feels way, way more, I guess, loose with the camera. Like he's able, he shoots things in much more dynamic ways. You know, he's like quick zooms, moving the moving the camera around during the action. There, there's almost no camera movement during the action before. And here, you know, he's we're kind of moving in and out. We've got nice wide shots. We're moving. You know, whenever they actually gets more intimate, we move in closer, and and then yeah, it's it's not just a series of disconnected events. You know, with the climax, we have, <laughs> I mean, ironically enough, it's two different agents fighting the same guy, but two different versions of himself, and we have, even though it's it's a bit awkward to see Boris standing at the edge, aiming for like forever and not really shooting it. He he has a lot of chances to kill them that he doesn't take. <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's something I know is like, were they red shirts, they would, you know, just these kind of like no name characters, they would have died long before. I mean, even with uh, Jay's advantage of time travel. I mean, how many times do we have to see Boris shoot somebody in the head with that before we realize that that's where he aims, and the fact that he hits Jay three different times and all of them and like very, you know, non life threatening areas is it's a bit obvious but i still think the way it's shot is actually you know really really smart and well done and and there's no scenes in the first two really where i think you know they must have really storyboarded this where here you know we've got everything that every what's going on with agent k is kind of the threat that's that's what we're waiting on to happen these events are what have to play out and then we have the events with Jay and the other Boris going on above, and this is kind of being shaped by what's going on there. And it's all kind of, it's two different situations that are kind of shaping each other and it all feels connected and it's all shot in ways where we, we have a very clear sense of where both 
both characters are moving and how they affect each other. It It's not something that we saw in either of the first two. Yeah, and even outside of the action, just the whole film feels so much slicker and more stylized. It just there's like a, just a real um, life uh, to it, I think. <laughs> and I, I think the, the direction of the jokes, like where the two scenes where they have the run with the cops, where the first one is like, you know, the clothes I got from your mom and the car from your <laughs> grandmother, and then it just cuts to him being thrown on the uh, on the hood, and then. The, uh, basically the same joke later on where you know the only the only way we get out of here is you tell the truth <laughs> the same thing they're just thrown onto the pavement I think it's just just really clever uh, editing uh, for these jokes as well yeah. and what I loved about that first one was that after he says whatever you do do not press that button firmly <laughs> on the side and it shows and it's like press it we cut back like not even like I guess only a second or two has passed we cut back to Will Smith and he already has his sunglasses on <laughs> and that cut just about killed me this most recent time uh, and so yeah that, that's something that I want to mention too is like he's, he's improved as an action director but I think the comedy of the first two were almost rested mostly on on the script and on the especially on the delivery Mm-hmm. And like I said, I still find the first one funny. It's just because I think that there's just more comedic lines in there. But I think that he was a better comedic director this time around because in scenes like that, he as a director is the one telling the jokes, not just the actors. Yeah. And um, and so, yeah, he he finds ways to do that. And then, you know, whenever he says, or, you know, like, I, I hope this isn't when the one where Boris comes bursting to the door and we just kind of, hold on the door for just a little bit of just <laughs> silence for two seconds. And then they kind of breathe a sigh of relief. There's, there's different moments where he, he has like funny pauses or funny cuts and it does, it feels like he's more involved himself with telling the story instead of just kind of filming really, really funny actors. Yeah. Um, an- another way this is better is that there's no sidekicks. Yes. I can't tell you how happy I was to see uh, that picture of uh, Frank uh, oh, in his apartment. Boo like, to you. Uh, punk could burn in hell for all I care. I, I, was, I, if there was one thing that made me laugh consistently with two, it was oh Frank. God, I, I, I was so happy not to have, not to have any, any uh, you know, they're just, especially uh, characters like um, uh, Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> yeah, it just, the, 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 the story seems so much more focused. Yeah, and it's what we we kind of if there's four if there's a, a Men in Black four, I want another like funny comedian to show up as like a, an entirely inconsequential sidekick though, because we got Patrick Warburton and then we got um, <laughs> Will Arnett. It's just this public. It'd be funny if that became kind of a running joke. But see, this movie to me was how you 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 pick characters and you know what to do with them because to me. Two, especially with Johnny Knoxville's character, it's like, I mean, he's in a somewhat interesting design. He could be in a scene, I guess, but that movie forced him. This movie knew exactly what to do with every character. You know, oh, not a lot of screen time, but she served her purpose. Griffin, they knew they had a great character, and they involved him a lot more than they would have someone else. You know, uh, Will Arnett is a funny guy, and he comes up with his really you know, funny little bit to kind of help establish the situation. And then he's not, the movie's not forcing his relevance. So I, I, this movie had a very clear gauge on who was important, who wasn't, who could be funny and for what doses. And it, I think 
in a weird way, I think that did help the pacing itself is you never feel like the movie's stopping to give importance to a character who doesn't deserve it. Everybody's kind of showing up for exactly how long they need to and moving out. And, uh, it's a really efficient use, I guess, of side characters. Mm-hmm. Oh, another really bit, uh, clever bit of direction that I just remembered is the scene where he goes to kill the guy at the fair. Um, and, you know, and they, they find the matchbox is like, oh, well, he didn't smoke. But then when you look back at the scene where he's where, uh, he, where uh, Boris is threatening him, he, the whole time he's trying to light a match and he just cannot figure out how to get the match lit. And it just it just plays. You don't even notice it the first time. But then when you when you you know you see the line, uh, it's actually a clue. It, it all kind of makes sense. It's really it's really clever. Yeah, I, honestly, I didn't even notice. I as just as a visual joke itself, I laughed at him trying to light it, but that's. Maybe just because it's super easy to make me laugh with silly <laughs> visuals, but not thinking about the fact that he was actually setting up a joke makes that part makes me like that part even more. I guess uh, to move in uh, towards a close, um, as, yeah, as I said before in the previous uh, two episodes, I don't love the first one. I enjoy it, and I, this while well, this one is definitely my favorite of the series, it's still it, it definitely it doesn't doesn't rank. You know, along with the great sci-fi films, or or you know, anywhere near my favorites. Um, I think it's a ve- just a very enjoyable um movie with some you know really clever bits and a, you know a real great emotional punch at the end. But it's something I noticed just, just talking about it here, it just feels like it's kind of sort of just fading out of my brain. I'm, I'm like having a hard time remembering like specifics about it. it just feels like it's it just. I know you said you hated how people said it felt inconsequential, but it sort of does. You're part of the problem. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's just my my issue with kind of the whole series. I I I like the I like the I love the concept. For some reason, they just they just kind of they don't stand out to me, you know, as like really great sci-fi films. They're just kind of fun, breezy movies that I sort of forget about afterwards. And this one kind of fits into that, even though I think it's prob- it's, it, it's the strongest of the three. For me, maybe I, I just really, really like fun, breezy movies, especially um, if they're movies that have strong performances and care. Like, I think Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones throughout the trilogy deliver their lines in ways that aren't really delivered in other movies. I don't know. There, there's just something very distinct to to their chemistry and their dynamic. The idea is just really unique and fun and, you know, unique to them that it's just such an easy watch. And, and again, like I, was, I feel like I've said it throughout the first and this one is that what I love about both of these movies is that there's always something funny happening, whether it's, consequential or not and so this this really isn't a movie that i put on i'm like i just want to watch a really really good movie it's a movie i want to put on i'm like i'm kind of bored i want to watch a movie that i think is really entertaining and that'll get a laugh and to me these movies serve that function so well because throughout there's always something whether in your face like just this huge you know skit essentially that they're doing and will smith making all these hilarious expressions and perfect delivery and (laughs) AJK's <laughs> almost lack of expression or you know kind of subtle things hidden in the background in the movies is they're very very funny and I feel like they're in the moment they're really engaging and so they're they're kind of 
my well, I, I should say go to because honestly, I I haven't watched the third one in a bit. But it's weird because I I still when it's brought up, I, I always talk about how much I love it. And so they're really easy for me to sit down and watch. Watching it for this episode was incredibly easy. And sometimes, like, if I'm just watching a movie by myself, you know, a lot of the time I won't laugh out loud. I'll just, like, if, if something's funny, I'll kind of smile. But there were, like, two or three times where I was just audibly laughing at the movie. And so for what it's supposed to be, it, it functions really, really well for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so going into this film's legacy is kind of weird because I don't think it has a legacy like at all in pop culture. Like, you know, aside from the initial reviews, nobody talks about this movie. It's it's weird. Um, I, have you noticed that just how little impression this film left? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's. It's weird because you know it it came and went and even and I guess I'm I'm hurting my own case but you know it came and I saw it in the theater and then I showed you know family after that I went I did go of you know a a very long time without seeing it and I think part of it is because of how self-contained it is it kind of existed to tell its own fun story and then deepen the relationship between the two but it's it kind of made me think about the first one. We're like, oh, so in the first one, it's just it it doesn't move the if if there really is one, it doesn't really move the bigger story forward, and it doesn't tell you anything more about the the agency or anything. And so, it happens. It's it's really funny, and I I personally love it. But yeah, it came and it went, and it didn't really leave anything for anybody to to talk about too much. And yeah, it seems like people have just almost completely forgotten about it. Yeah, it got pretty decent reviews, um, but I think you know, most most of the review praise went to uh, Josh Brolin's performance, which obviously. But yeah, it just like when people talk about Men in Black, they're always talking about the first one, and when they talk about the sequels, they usually just kind of lump them both of them together as just you know, as examples of unnecessary sequels that just that kind of ruined the franchise, but, which which hurts for me because I think this one's the best. But yeah, well, weird. what's weird is. From from what I've read, whenever three is name dropped, it's a lot of the time they will. The consensus seems to be, you know, Men in Black debuted with this fantastic breath of fresh air, you know, in movies, and it was fun, led by great performances. And then two was a lackluster attempt at recreating, and they'll like de- dedicate an entire paragraph at least to just two's failure. And they're like, fortunately, three came back to somewhat save the series, but now we're left in limbo. It's like the acknowledgement that three is better than two is almost always there, but it's always talked about much shorter. Like they just go on and on about how two is the perfect example of like sequels done wrong and franchises that should have never been franchises. And then they're like, well, three came along and kind of, you know, it, it showed that there may be a little bit of life, but we haven't seen anything. And it ends like that, like with just a, a singular sentence acknowledging its existence and it's, you know, perceived you know like improvement um so on its initial release it grossed uh 624 million on a rather insane 215 million dollar budget um it's a big budget movie for now you know yeah this movie is what six years old now Mm -hmm. and i mean it's not like it's a star wars it's most of it's pretty uh can be filmed practically i guess you know it, it, it probably had to 
a lot of it came from the ridiculous uh, method which, which, with which it was filmed over that long uh, time period. I'm not sure um, how much, you know, being filmed for 3D, I, I don't know whether it, it, that's... It, it, it wasn't filmed for 3D. Oh, okay. It was filmed for 2D and, and post-converted, like, like, which is weird. That was, that was, a, was like a, a really uh, big fad, uh, right, right, basically around 2011, 2012, after Avatar, everything was changed to 3D post-conversion. Thankfully, that seems to be uh, fading away a, a bit now. So happy for that, too. I, I rarely see, you know, 3D movies having more showings than... Or I, I rarely see a movie having more 3D showings than 2D now. Yeah, so it, it, it is the highest grossing film from the series worldwide, uh, but the uh, lowest grossing domestically, which probably is why they never, they, they've taken so long to continue the franchise. Um, so there's, you know, there's, there's, there was a lot of talk, uh, you know, about two years ago of doing the crossover between men in black and 21 jump street, which just feels so random, but, but absolutely perfect when you think about it. Um, but I have not heard anything about that in a long time. Like the, the, the latest news I could find, uh, researching for this episode was like, 2016 where they had uh they had a a approach to director and it was like tentatively being developed but it's been pretty silent for a while now i want to say i read something from channing tatum when they were they were referring to you know as like the the jump street sequel um and it was brought up about the men in black and i i want to say that he kind of said that it it seemed you know probably unlikely at that point Hmm. Um, it'll go the way of gambit yeah poor guy can't catch a break um but that's really unfortunate because even though like off the top of your head those aren't movies that seem to make a perfect fit when you actually think about it like i can't think of anything more perfect than will smith having to train channing tatum and jonah hill like (laughs) i would absolutely be the first in line to see mib 23 all right. Um, so that was Men in Black. Uh, our next series will be on the Toy Story films, which I cannot wait to talk about because they are all amazing. We are, we are recording these way ahead of time, so I, we might squeeze in uh, another film if we can think of one in between uh, af- uh, between this series and Toy Stories. But our next full uh, full series will be on the Toy Story films even if it's our, not our next episode. Judging by releases like Murder on the Orient Express and Greta Chauvin, there will always be a need to defend underrated movies. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I think we will squeeze in an underrated somehow. I, I, uh, I, I, can't, I can't start talking about those right now. We'll never end. So again, if you enjoy the show, please go and rate and review us on iTunes. And if you want to follow us, you can like us on Facebook. We're there as Franchise Fatigue Podcast. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are there as Franchise Pod. And if you want to find our older episodes, we um, <clears throat> our website is FranchiseFatiguePodcast.com. And James, uh, how can people follow you? Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd. I'm there as JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. Um, and I, you know, I try to review all the recent films that I see so you can keep up with my thoughts there. Uh, and I also write for Article Asylum. Uh, the website is articleasylum.wordpress.com. Um, still, a, just a, the classes have started, so I haven't been able to finish the, the series on Star Wars that I'm writing, but I will finish it soon. 
Um, but you can find a, a lot of what I've written there as well as some friends. And so I think there's some good stuff. Some definitely, there, there's some articles that are very defensive of BVS and Man <laughs> of Steel. So but of if you liked our first episodes of Underrated, then there's good stuff to check out there. And I am also on Letterboxd. I'm there as Gabriel Green. Um, I'm currently watching through all of Steven Spielberg's films uh, during during 2018, although that's currently on hold because I decided uh, kind of impromptu to watch all the MCU films in preparation for uh, Infinity War. Uh, but I will be going, as soon as that's done, I will be going back and uh, watching and reviewing all of uh, Steven Spielberg's films. I'm currently on Jaws, so that's going to be fun. Mm. Cinematic masterpiece. Oh, that sounded like a negative. Mm. Oh, no. <laughs> Someone has done something wrong to the timeline if I ever whisper a word of negativity against Jaws. So, until next week, we will see you in the sequel. Let's go rewrite history, shall we? Shall we?